Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Joe Dallas and have a phenomenal conversation about sexuality, um, what the Bible says about our sexuality. And um, Joe has devoted his, his life and work um, to counseling and being a pastoral counselor to those who have um, struggle with pornography, homosexuality, and different areas. Areas of, of sexuality. And so it's a great um, conversation. You know, I know that this, this podcast could seem to be divisive or to create um, division, and that's not what the purpose of it is. What it is is sit down and hear from Joe, listen to Joe, and hear about hear his wisdom and his insight and his experience. Maybe you'll listen to this and you'll disagree with Joe. Maybe you disagree with me. But I do believe that we can um, have conversations like this and um, seek to understand, seek to understand where we're coming from. In no way um, does Joe or myself um, not love people. That's not it at all. Is what we're trying to do is as Christians is we're trying to see our sexuality through the Bible, not our not the Bible through our sexuality, but our our sexuality. We're looking through the lens of the Bible. And so that's what Joe offers. And we'd really appreciate him being on the podcast. Do encourage you to continue to send in your your questions for Back Channel with Foth. And that's where we sit down with Dick Foth and he answers listeners' questions. We're so um, thankful for Dick and his w- willingness to spend time with us. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is AGWMAfrica.org for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started, so here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today um, with a new friend, Joe Dallas. I'm taking his webinar class and um, I, my Heather and I had sat down and went, took the first session and I thought, if man, if we could have him on the podcast, this would be phenomenal. And Joe, yeah. so glad that you're willing to be on us with today. Could you introduce yourself to the audience for maybe some that haven't taken your classes or read your books yet, um, just to share a little bit about yourself? Sure, and thank you for having me, Aaron. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm a pastoral counselor. I've had a biblical counseling ministry for, oh, about 33, 34 years now. And I work primarily with Christian men and women who've gotten caught up in either uh, homosexuality or addiction to porn or extramarital affairs, different sexual ways of acting out uh, that they know as believers are wrong, but they are wanting now to get some consultation as to what to do, how to walk away, what to expect, what to put in place and so forth. So that's been the focus of my work. Uh, I do a combination of counseling and some writing and uh, uh, some speaking, as you were saying, webinars. And uh, so my, my whole, I guess, focus of ministry is first equipping believers to be better stewards of their sexuality. And secondly, uh, walking alongside the church so that we as the church can be better equipped to deal with people who are struggling with their sanctification. Those are my two main passions, I guess, is the best way to put it. Joe, where, you know, as um, you're addressing a topic, you know, I grew up in a church and uh, great parents, but sexuality um, was not necessarily something that we addressed in the church. It was it seemed to be addressed everywhere else, but <laughs> the church. You got that right. <laughs> um, 
can you share some of your story? How did you get the courage to say, hey, I'm going to focus because this is vitally important and I'm going to have the courage um, to step out and, and do my best to minister and care for people and provide a biblical foundation on a, on a very important topic? Well, uh, if I look at this from my perspective, my whole life is a fluke. If I look at it from God's perspective, that's another matter. But I never intended to do this kind of work, Aaron. Uh, back in the early 80s, after I had repented of sexual sin in my own life, I was a very committed gay activist from uh, about 1978 to 1984. And uh, in fact, I was on staff with a pro-gay church. So I very actively promoted the idea that Christianity and homosexuality were compatible. God called me to repentance in 84, and I really felt a burden uh, to be a counselor. That was something I had, had mm -hmm. always wanted to do, but I wanted to counsel people who dealt with alcoholism or chemical addiction. Hmm. Uh, that has run in my family. I've done a lot of drug use myself, and so that was an area that I wanted to, uh, to serve in. And so I got into a master's program and was working on my degree and as part of my degree, I had to find a, um, an internship, uh, internship, and nobody would take me. I mean, I had good grades, good recommendations, but every door I knocked on closed, I was checking my deodorant there because I thought <laughs> there must be some reason nobody wants me. And finally, the uh, internship supervisor said, there is this one little church in Orange County. I live in Orange County, California, which is in mm -hmm. Southern California. She said, there's this one little church that is counseling people who deal with homosexuality. Hmm. And I said, not on your life. Hmm. Number one, I, that's a part of my past, and I don't even want to talk about it anymore. And hmm. number two, and I really felt this way, Aaron, I was engaged to be married by that time. And I hmm. knew I needed to support a wife and, and a family. Hmm. And I said, there is no way I'm going to find enough people. Hmm. who are in conflict over their homosexuality and who want counseling. I'll never make a living doing that. Hmm. But every other door was closed. So I finally said, well, all right, I'll do that for a few months and see how it goes. <laughs> it turned into a lifelong calling. That was back in 1987. And, and what I realized then, and you kind of hit on it yourself, Aaron, was that within the body of Christ, there is a significant population, a number of people who are believers who are wrestling with different sexual sins in their own lives privately. Hmm. Pornography, homosexuality, adultery, whatever. Uh, homosexuality in particular has been a tough one because so many believers in the church who have temptation, homosexual temptations, when they hear the subject addressed from the pulpit, it's usually addressed as a topic out there. Hmm. It only exists in the world. And those are the homosexual sinners, and we need to call them to repentance and resist them. That leaves the believer feeling like, wow, nobody else in the church has this struggle. I better keep my mouth shut or I'll be humiliated or rejected or who knows what. So as a result, when I hung my shingle out, so to speak, to say, hey, I'm here to counsel people who are attracted to the same sex, but know that it's not God's will for them to give in to those attractions and they want help. Hmm. Boom. You hmm. know, it was almost like that old movie Field of Dreams where it says, if you build it, he will come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you build it, they will come. And uh, like I said, this is a very large unaddressed group within the church, hmm. uh, which needs to be addressed now more than ever. If I can really get on my soapbox for a minute, Aaron, we are losing so many good women and men to hmm. this sin. 
we truly are, spirit-filled believers within the body of Christ who have a private temptation that they didn't ask to have, but it's there. They don't know what to do about it. They're scared to speak up. And so often they feel as though they are the worst of sinners. They have to keep it private. They can't deal with it. And you know how that plays out. The, mm. the secret struggle you That's have, right. if you don't bring it to the light, it's going to eventually become the bondage that derails you. Yeah. And this is when all of a sudden we find somebody, some one more person is leaving his wife. One more person mm. is leaving the ministry. One more person is saying, I've always been gay. The church is homophobic. Now I'm aligned with the pro-gay movement and so forth. And so this is why I, I think there's an urgency hmm. that we address this biblically within the church with compassion and with truth. Yeah, okay, awesome. end of soapbox. No, no, no. That's uh, that's very, very important. And that's why I'm having you on the podcast today, because obviously I believe it's an important subject. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm so appreciative of your time. You know, I shared that my wife and I, Heather, we're, we're currently taking your, your, your three-part webinar, I'm Gay and Christian Okay. Uh, in that, you know, we, we found it was very fascinating and very important for us, you shared, in that there's two ways of interpreting scripture. There's a traditional view and a revisionist view when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. Could you share though, share that um, in a nutshell and why that is so vitally important for uh, believers to understand um, that those two, two ways of seeing scripture? Sure. It's an important question. The traditional view is just that. It's the way we have traditionally read the Bible when it comes to marriage, sexual behavior, and homosexuality in particular. Traditionally, we have believed that God intended the sexual union only to be between one man and one woman for life. Hmm. That seems very clear. The revisionist viewpoint says basically, yes, the Bible is the word of God, but no, we have not really understood the scriptures that refer to homosexuality because they really don't condemn homosexuality at all. So the revisionist viewpoint is basically a doctrinal revision of our understanding of mm. key verses in Leviticus, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Timothy. It revises the way we interpret those scriptures. And this is a, a viewpoint, Aaron, that is catching on. There are a number of well-known Christian leaders who mm. have adopted that viewpoint. There are entire denominations that have adopted it. And more and more of our young people are coming forward saying, hey, I have a friend who's gay, and she says she loves the Lord, hmm. and she says the Bible doesn't really condemn it, we just haven't understood the Bible. How do I respond? Hmm. So for all those reasons, why we do need to be uh, equipped to, under to, to understand and to respond to the revisionist movement, which, by the way, that's a position I used to hold, it's a position I used to promote. I understand why a lot of people want to cling to it. It's very hmm. convenient. But it's not true. That's the hmm. bottom line. Hmm. Joe, you shared there. How how do you, if someone comes up with that question, hey, I have a friend. And um, and honestly, that has been when, when you put it on a, on a personal level, I have a friend. Um, he loves Jesus or she loves Jesus. And um, she she has uh, she believes she's homosexual. Or he's homosexual. How do we respond? Because. In the culture, at least in my, I'll, I'll own it. It feels like if you have 
you can have any opinion you want as long as it's the one that that person has. Does that, does that make any sense? There's, and so <laughs> that kind of uh, narrows it down. It, it narrows <laughs> it down real, real narrow. And so, how do yeah. you, when you work with people and 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 share your wisdom, how what is a proper way to respond to that question in love and truth? Because that's one thing you share. It, it's love and truth. How do we respond in a situation like that? We have to break down the specifics first, Aaron. When someone says, I have a friend who identifies as lesbian or gay, we have to ask a few particulars. Is your friend identifying as a believer? Does your friend recognize what the Bible says about homosexuality or is your friend seeking to legitimize it? Because that kind of helps determine how you address the friend. Now, just for example, if I had a friend who said, Joe, I am lesbian and I'm Christian and God's okay with it, my approach would be lovingly to say, can we look at what scripture really says about that and the way you're interpreting scripture because I believe you're in serious error. Hmm. If a woman says, Joe, I'm a believer, but I feel lesbian tendencies and temptations, what do I do? I would say, praise God, sister, welcome to the club. All of us are struggling with something. Yeah, Struggle between the flesh and the spirit is biblically guaranteed according, according to Paul in Galatians. <laughs> so I would say, hey, I celebrate the fact that you are being honest about your struggle. Now let's look at the best ways you can deal with temptations when they come up. Hmm. That's why I say you got to kind of look at the specific situation. If somebody says, I'm gay, what does that mean? Hmm. I'm gay and I believe it's good. I'm gay and I don't believe it's good. I'm gay and I'm acting on it, or I'm gay and I'm abstaining. Those are all, you know, particulars you need to know before you can proceed with the ministry of Wow, that's that's excellent and valuable insight. Valuable insight. One of the other, Heather and I took notes um, from your webinar. One of the other things that you shared that is really that we've talked a good bit about. You made a very compelling point that um, it's important that we see our sexuality through God rather than God through the lens of our sexuality. I, I, maybe I'm misquoting you, but some similar to that thought. Could you unpack that um, for the audience? Because um, to us, that was a very important, um, very important uh, point. Yeah, let me make it personal. Back in 1978, I had been wrestling with my own homosexuality. Up to that point, I had pretty much viewed my sexuality through the lens of Scripture and from God's viewpoint. Hmm. God created me male. God intended me to either join myself sexually to a woman in marriage or to abstain from sex entirely. There's no curtain number three. Hmm. I reached a point where I got sick of that. Hmm. I had an ongoing struggle. I prayed that the temptations would go away. They hadn't just vanished the way I hoped they would. I felt misunderstood. I felt lonely. I felt all kinds of things. And I started, um, I believe, a reconsideration similar to what Eve did when she was in the garden and Satan came. Well, now really did God say? I started echoing that question to myself. Did God really say? Now, wait a minute. And that's when, you know, David said in Psalm 1, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's where it all started. Mm. I started listening to ungodly counsel, people saying, well, Joe, if you're gay, you were born that way. You should embrace it. God loves you. God certainly wants you to be happy. Yeah. So why would God make you that way and then tell you you can't live it out? I Mm. thought, "Uh aha, that's nice counsel. It fits with what I want to hear rather than with what Scripture says. You start walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Then you stand in the way of sinners, which is what I did. I thought, well, if that's the way it is, I'm going to go stand in the way of sinners. I'm going to visit gay bars. I'm going to hang out with gay people. 
And then finally you wind up sitting in the seat of the sparkle. That's when I became not only a practicer of homosexuality, but a promoter, scornfully saying the church is wrong, you're all homophobic, you know. But that all starts when you basically say, I want God to see it a certain way. Mm. Rather, I want to see it as God sees it. And mm. once we start thinking that way, you, you know how this plays out. Aaron, if you choke the Bible hard enough, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. It's true. I mean, how many cultists have done that <laughs> from the beginning? <laughs> so uh, that's basically what I meant. What I was saying is important that we see our sexuality through the lens of the creator. We go back to Genesis, and what do we see about sex? God created it. God celebrates it. God had a specific intention in mind. And sexuality, like all of the human experience, has to be viewed through the lens of what the Creator intended. Otherwise, we're going to get it wrong. Mm, that's good. That's good. You know, um, you, you hit on it a little bit earlier, Joe, in the sense that um, in the church, we seem to be hesitant to discuss our tr traditional biblical point of view when it comes to homosexuality. Because I think uh, the the culture, at least I found myself wanting to be more silent when the subject comes up, because it just seems like if you don't have a certain opinion, you're just going to get your head cut off. Um, how can wh how what are the questions that you believe the church and uh, Christians should be asking um, so that we can more walk this out in, in truth and love and not be, as you said, that the church is homophobic and the church hates hates people? How can we ch begin to shift that narrative where we're walking in truth and in love without, um, yeah, without uh, people thinking that we're homophobic and we hate hate people that are homosexuals? First of all, Aaron, we will have to accept the fact that no matter how loving we are, no matter how gentle we are, no matter how respectful we are, there will always be people who will say, if you don't approve of me, you hate. Hmm. I mean, we must understand that the hate label is going to get thrown at us no matter how we do it. So we must never assume that if people are telling us we're hateful, that alone means we must be doing something wrong. Okay. Uh, if Jesus was misinterpreted and Paul was misinterpreted and the apostles were misinterpreted, <laughs> who the heck are we that we shouldn't be misinterpreted, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, and that's a reality. And something I tried to point out in the webinar uh, that you mentioned was that we tend not to be persecuted or rejected or misunderstood or reviled just because we believe in Jesus. Hmm. It's the Christian distinctives that are getting us in hot water. Hmm. If you are preaching the distinctives of the faith, that there is only one way to God, that there is a place of judgment, that human nature is essentially sinful, that there is a specific design for marriage and family, those distinctives are going to provoke a reaction. Now, that said, there will always be people who will still respond to, to the gospel when we preach it and who will still want to be disciples and followers of Christ. So we must never shy away. And that's why we have to be asking ourselves first. Are hmm. we being the stewards of our sexuality? Hmm. Do we know what God has said about his intention for the human sexual experience? And are we as a people living within those intentions? We, we don't have any business promoting something that we're not living ourselves. Hmm. And, and we don't have the seven hours necessary to discuss right. Right. Exactly. all the nasty doors that opens. But, <laughs> but the reality is... The church often reminds me of Samson after his haircut. We're compromised in our vow of holiness and what happened. 
We're not able to rise to the occasion. We're not able to rise to the battle. So we, we really need to look at that and examine yeah. ourselves and when necessary, repent. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Then I think we need to look at this somewhat the way Paul looked at his desire to reason with people in the synagogue. To try to say, can we not not only uh, evangelize, we preach the gospel, but there is a place for reasoning with people as well, doing more the work of an apologist mm. by asking some, some key questions. Do we have a creator? If so, did that creator have specific intentions? If so, how do we determine what those intentions are? If those intentions have been revealed in a divinely inspired document, what does that document say? Hmm. Those are critical questions I think we need to be asking, both within the church, but especially these days in the culture. Yeah, that's good. You know, Joe, you talked about in the webinar, you shared um, something as I've had dialogues with people that, that you you delineated and, and um, unpacked it very, very insightfully for me. I wish I had heard, um, heard your explanation earlier on about um, David and Jonathan. And, um, you know, I've heard that uh, as I've talked with people, they said, well, you know, really, David and Jonathan, they had a homosexuality relationship and it's 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 clearly there. And you unpack that in, in such a clear, concise way. Would you mind just sharing um, your what God has revealed to you in um, in Scripture and um, how when somebody brings that up, how we might be able to respond? Well, the essence of the story of David and Jonathan is that they had a very deep, loving friendship, so deep that when David heard Jonathan had been killed, he said, you know, I loved you more than I have even loved any woman. Now, at face value, we don't read anything about homosexuality and that we do read deep fraternal love. And this is where I think we need to get back to the idea that, you know, when it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a good chance it's a duck. <laughs> you know, if it's not a duck, then there will be other details right. um, um, giving you an indication that it's something other than a duck. Right. Now, the Bible isn't shy. That's a point I was trying to make uh, in that webinar, Aaron. Yeah. In, in the scripture, when people have sex, the Bible doesn't dance around the subject. It says they lay together. Hmm. They knew each other. I mean, hmm. it's very clear. Whether it was right or wrong, the Bible doesn't shy away from it. You see nothing in Scripture saying David and Jonathan laid together. Hmm. You only see that they loved each other very deeply. So the key question is, are we really going to assume that every time someone loves somebody else deeply, it's a sexual love? Hmm. I mean, that would lead a lot of us into some awful uh, concepts about incest and about e even child abuse. And there's things that are unthinkable, but because the fact is we deeply love people, hmm. family members, children, friends, associates. Um, but it's it's a complete perversion of the concept of love to assume that if love is very deep, it must also be erotic. Hmm. There's nothing in scripture or common sense telling us that, besides all of which, hmm. um, not only do we not read anything sexual about the relationship between these two men, only that it was very deep and very mutually loving, but uh, we also know that looking at David's life, Whatever other problems the guy may have had, this sure doesn't look like one of them because what nearly derailed his life was his appetite for women. Yeah. So um, as as the Southerners say, that dog don't hunt. Just uh, <laughs> really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. That's good. Good. And um, Ram, I really appreciated it. You know, one of the other questions I wanted to, to ask you today, Joe, is um, 
the reality of it is you shared your personal story and you shared, and, and I don't know, I hope you're, uh, you're comfortable sharing about how did your family respond when you, you said, um, you said, I declared myself, I'm, I'm gay and you were promoting that lifestyle. Um, how did, how did your family respond and what are some things, maybe there's a parent that's listening in today that, um, yeah. their son or daughter has said, um, this is who I am and this is the way I'm going to live. And the parent doesn't know how to respond. Maybe it's a, an aunt or uncle, a missionary aunt or uncle, or maybe it's a, a friend or colleague and they want to, they want to care for them, but honestly, they're afraid of losing them because of responding in the wrong way. Could you, would you, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing your story sure. or, but, you, but maybe give some wisdom and insight on how we can move, we, how we can share that love. Oh, God love my poor parents. What I put them through, I tell you, Aaron, I've told my wife often, if there was any justice at all, after what I put my parents through, both of my sons would have grown up to be licensed ax murderers. <laughs> that would have been fair. You know? mm. uh, and they didn't. They both grew up to be godly, awesome guys. You yeah. know? But uh, no, uh, uh Remember the times when I came out to my parents, it was 1978. Most of the culture still disapproved of homosexuality. And my parents were from a generation in which the worst thing you could be was a quote unquote queer, hmm. the very worst thing you could be. Hmm. So when I made that announcement to them, I had no idea I was turning their world upside down, hmm. but I got to hand it to them. Both of them handled it very well in that they both said, look, I'm never going to agree with this. I'm never going to approve of it. Don't try to back me into a wall and tell me I need to change my views. And I won't try to back you into a wall and tell you you need to change. I love you. I respect you. Let's have a good relationship. Let's not let this come between us. But let's also respect the fact that we're never going to be on the same page on this issue. But we are on the same page in the priority we place on our relation. Wow. And that, I believe, was a model of the way parents should handle it when a kid comes out to them. Now, listen to me saying this so calmly. It's awfully easy now with the benefit of hindsight. But when you're a mother or father who hears this news and you're a Christian, you know, our greatest fear as parents is that our children will be outside God's will. Hmm. There's, there's no worse nightmare than to think of our kids outside God's will. We want them within God's will. When we hear news like that, it's like we go into mourning because... Hmm. Our assumptions have died. We assumed things were one way. Now we find out they're another way. It just throws us for quite a loop. So uh, parents in that position need to realize you're going to grieve, but you want to basically say what my parents said to me. Let's keep our bond. Mm -hmm. We will not change our position. We're not going to try to force you to change yours. We want our relationship intact. If you would discuss it, we'd love to better understand how you came to this conclusion where you stand with God, what you think God's will is for you. But if you don't want to go there, we will respect that. Let's try to keep our bond intact regardless. Now, Aaron, the only exception to this, of course, is if the son or daughter is a minor, hmm. in which case parents do need to say, hey, I can't tell you what to think. I can't tell you what to feel. But yeah, we are still your parent. Hmm. And we will determine who you may or may not hang out with, who you may or may not date, where you may or may not go. If you choose to embrace homosexuality as an adult, we hope you won't, but we can't override your free will. We will respect that. But while we are the authority in your life, you, you will have to stay within the parameters of what we will or will not allow. Yeah. 
And, and Joe, have you seen that in that response, is it, can we expect the same? You said that earlier that, you know, there will be people that, and how much we love them, they still might respond in hate, or we might, and how much we love them, there might be pushback. Does that exist in families also, that even how much you love your Absolutely. child? Absolutely. Oh, what, Aaron, we are in a strange time. There is a wave going over the world, really. Hmm. A wave of a source, you could call it a new religion, a new thought, a new something, which basically says we have to revise our understanding of everything. Hmm. Gender, sexuality, race, spirituality. This wave is a revision of all of, of, all of our understandings of those words. Hmm. And the wave basically says either you repent of your old way of thinking and join this new way of thinking, or you must be punished, either convert or die. That's an extreme way of putting it, but that's really the general tone of this wave. And this is why a lot of Christian parents now are absolutely sucker punched, because not only do they have to deal with the fact their kid has just come out to them and announced, Mom, Dad, I'm gay, but the kid has also announced, Mom, Dad, if you don't tell me you approve, if you cannot say you bless this, if you won't be on board with this, I won't have anything to do with you. It's astonishing mm. the unreasonable, um, intolerant position that a lot of people are taking. But that's part of this new wave of thinking. And it's a new thing. I, I've got to tell you, Aaron, when I started my work, I would deal with Christian families and I would encourage the Christian parents to keep their relationship with their gay son or daughter and not reject them. Now, I'm trying to encourage gay sons and daughters not to reject their Christian parents. Wow. Because we are seeing a basically, uh, uh, what else can you call it, but unreasonable approach that says, if you don't approve, you don't love. If hmm. you don't love, you hate. If you hate, I'm out of here. Wow. And there's no room for discussion. Wow. It's, it's a crazy time. Joe, do you have any words of encouragement maybe for a parent that's listening in that's in that place today that their their son or daughter has has spoken those words to them that, you know, if you can't accept it, uh, you know, they've blocked them out of life. You, you, you're a pastoral counselor. Um, obviously, you're founded on God's word. Do you just have uh, just some words of encouragement for a parent that might be in that situation today? Sure. Deception is horrible, but it is not necessarily permanent. Hmm. You know, Saul of Tarsus was a true believer in his doctrine. Kill the Christian. They're dangerous. They have to be slaughtered. We can't tolerate this. Hmm. And look what happened. God is still in the business of interrupting. I don't care where the culture goes. God will always be the great interrupter. That's exactly how my life got turned around. And believe me, Aaron, and I would say this to any parent listening, anybody who knew Joe Dallas in the late 70s, early 80s, had every right to give up on him. Mm. every right. There was no indicator at all that I would ever turn. Mm. I was fully committed to what I was doing. Mm. So deception is a terrible thing, but it needn't be a permanent thing. God still unblinds people, if you want to look at it that yeah. way. He still interrupts them. He still speaks to them. He still calls them. Just uh, yesterday, I got word about a young actor who has been openly gay for some time, and he's recently come out on YouTube and said, I'm a Christian now, and I've renounced that, and oh boy, is he creating a controversy. But, you know, this is a guy steeped in Hollywood with plenty of support for being openly gay. 
there's no rational reason at all for him to turn from that other than God. Hmm. So the point is, as long as God is still active, as long as God is still wooing people and the Holy Spirit is still impacting lives, there's hope for your son or daughter. What you need to do now, of course, if you're a parent in that position, you pray for wisdom, you pray for grace, you speak truth, and you wait like the Hmm. prodigal son's father did. Wow. And so what I'm hearing you say, Joe, is it's not that the parent, the parents not gonna be able to change their, 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 their child, that their job is to pray and love and care for them in the process, but trying to force change. You've not in many years, you've been in your ministry. That doesn't, that's not a approach that, that has positive outcomes. Would that be correct? That's absolutely correct. Forcing change will never work. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. There is a place for saying, can we just talk honestly about what your position is? Can I tell you mine? And can we discuss where we disagree and see where it goes? I want to tell you why I believe you're wrong. You can tell me why you believe I'm wrong and let's take it from there. But when you try to force change, the only thing you're going to get is either rejection completely or compliance, which is false. Hmm. It's like forcing somebody to go to church or it's like, for that matter, Constantine marching the troops through the river. That doesn't save people, you know? You can't override free will. And as a parent, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I hate that. Hmm. But you can't override free will. The depth of love you have doesn't give you the entitlement to override somebody else's God-given ability to make up his own mind. Joe, I really appreciate your wisdom and insight. Do you have any any last words or anything that question you thought I should have asked that I didn't ask today um, before we before we go into prayer? I think this is a time we've got more than ever a very basic threefold challenge. We need to know the truth. What has God said? We need Hmm. to be sure we understand what he has said. Then we have to be conformed to the truth. Am I living out what God has said? And then, and here's the tougher part, perhaps, Aaron, we need to express the truth. This is not the time for silence. Hmm. The fact that gospel truths are being opposed does not mean the gospel truths should not be expressed. God forbid we let ourselves be intimidated from being salt and light because there is a grave danger we have now. The church is meant to be the light of the world. If we abdicate that, we will find that the world becomes the light of the church and we will be taking direction from the culture rather than providing direction to the culture. Wow. That's where we are. That's a, well, Joe, will you pray for us? Will you pray today that the wisdom and insight that you've shared, that it will not just be head knowledge, but these will be things that that your wisdom that we'll be able to put it um, into practice in our life and that we will have that courage, um, that we will not um, pull back. We will not respond in hate or anger, but we will respond in love and stand on God's word and um, not advocate our role that God has called us to um, in this tr- critical day and time as you've clearly delineated. Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we remember that there are no accidents with you. You knew when we would be born. You knew what challenges we would be facing during our lifetime. So we are praying, Lord, equip us for the challenge of our time. We would be faithful and we would be loving. So grant us increased wisdom to know how to express and when to express what you've decreed about the human experience. Give us boldness as we express it and give us your love. May the love of Christ always constrain us as we deal with the people within our own families, our own churches, and the world you've placed us in. Lord, grant us the power of your Holy Spirit having impact through us and in our own lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. 